Hey Woodlawn family, we are so glad you're joining us today. My name is Katie Winton and I'm the tech director here at Woodlawn. We love having you connect with us any way you're comfortable, either watching or listening online or joining us at one of our campuses. We value you and want to help you connect. The easiest way to do that is to visit woodlawnpcb.info. You can access message notes, give a gift, request prayer, and many other things all in one place. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a quick synopsis of this week's message. This week is Thanksgiving, so we're going to look at that from a new perspective. Our Director of Discipleship, Cameron Winton, is speaking this week, so let's get right to it. Thanksgiving is coming. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is upon us. If you haven't done your shopping or you haven't done all the things that need to be done, good luck because it's coming whether you want it to or not. And um, I, I was thinking back about the um, Thanksgivings in the Winton house and what those are like. Uh, we uh, always lived away from family, so that was the one holiday we got to just be home with the four of us. Because otherwise, um, it was such a quick turnaround of having to get back. My dad has to preach on Sundays. So if we went to Tennessee for Thursday, it was tough to get back for him to do all he needed to do on Sunday. So it was usually just the four of us. Or um, my parents would always invite people who didn't have somewhere to go to come and um, have Thanksgiving at our house. But a couple of things stand out to me as I was thinking back. And one of them was um, Katie got got chicken pox. on Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. So that drastically changed things for us. Um, She didn't get to eat much that year and she was sorely disappointed. Um, She was in middle school and that was, middle school's a hard time to have chicken pox, let me just say. It's tough, okay? Um, And then uh, I had the flu one year and then about eight years ago, I decided to have my tonsils out in my 30s, which was difficult. Um, If you ever need to do that, I recommend it, but do it when you're young. Don't wait until you're older. It's hard. Um, So I had had my tonsils out like six weeks before Thanksgiving, and I still couldn't eat or hardly talk six weeks later. It's hard when you're older. And uh, I I had a tough time, but I was determined to eat on Thanksgiving. I was going to do it if it killed me or not. So that was the first meal I got to eat after um, not getting to eat for several weeks. Um, and then a couple of, um, well, actually, uh, this is we've tried again in recent years, but several years ago, um, no one in my family is good at bread making, okay? We can cook or bake just about anything else, but bread making is this mystery. It's this thing we cannot, you know, just we can't do. We're not good at it. Um, but my parents grew up um, in Tennessee in this small town, and the grammar school they went to was called Shook School. And they, the lunch ladies made these homemade rolls every day for lunch. They're called Shook School Rolls. And the, the recipe is out there. The people in town have it. So we decided one year we were going to try to make them. So my dad and I get started. I was in high school. We get started going and realize halfway like into the first step that we didn't have everything we needed. Um, namely the yeast, which is real important. And so he said, just stand here and keep stirring the pot and I'll be back. And so he runs to the grocery store and back. And but anyway, it comes time to eat. They come out of the oven and they are beautiful. And he's like, this is just like I remember them. They smelled great. They look great. And we pulled the thing out of the oven and daddy was like, huh, these are a little heavy. And so he puts them on the 
stovetop, you know, so we're on the counter and we put them in a basket and we're like, they're, they're fine. They'll be fine. They'll taste good. They're just heavy. And so we get to the table and Katie was in elementary school and we went to pass the basket to her and she couldn't even hold it. I mean, it, it fell onto the table. It was so heavy. Okay, so it was a total bust. She was the only one who liked them. She ate them. I was just so mad that they didn't turn out. My dad was fed up with it. So we pressed pause on that for several years, and like two years ago, I think we tried them again. We got marginally better, so it's something that we'll just have to keep trying. But there's a lot of memories that we have surrounding Thanksgiving. Some are good, some are bad. Some of you have those relatives who come that you love to see, but do you really? I mean, it's like, okay, we invite them because we have to, or you feel obligated to go to their house for Thanksgiving. It may not be your favorite thing. I will say that's one thing I loved about Thanksgiving for us is that we just always got to be with the people we liked because we were at home with the four of us. Um, and then other people that we might invite, they might not have liked being with us, but they came anyway. Um, so that's coming. And I want us to think today about a new perspective on Thanksgiving. What is real Thanksgiving? I think headed into the holiday season, sometimes we breeze over top of Thanksgiving and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's one day. And then I mean, people are already putting up Christmas decorations. Now, I'm not judging you, but I'm judging you because that doesn't happen until after Thanksgiving. Do it that night. But anyway, yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay, but some of you are going, I'm not listening. Nothing you say because my tree's already up. Well, good for you. I'm happy for you. Mine's not. It will not be put up until after Thanksgiving. Anyway, I think we gloss over Thanksgiving sometimes and we just jump right to Christmas that's a good thing because we're looking toward the advent or the coming of Jesus. It's not a bad thing to look to, but we miss this one little part of the season that should be a really big part of the season. So I want to talk about today what it would look like to have a different perspective about that. There's a story about a multimillionaire um, in Texas who had a big ranch and a big house to match and tons and tons and tons of acres and all kinds of things. And uh, he, he just liked to show it all off. So he decided to have a big Texas-style barbecue and invite tons of people to come and see this new swimming pool that he had built. He'd filled the swimming pool with crocodiles. He invites people to come. There's like 500 people show up for this barbecue. And so they're all kind of standing around. Can you imagine 500 people at your house for Thanksgiving? No thanks. Okay. Um, but 500 people out there. And they are just hanging around and talking, and these crocodiles are just in the pool, right? And he says, I have a challenge for any young man who would jump into the pool, and it's Olympic-sized swimming pool, could swim to the other side without getting eaten or bit or injured and get out on the other side, I'll give you your choice of three things. One, a million dollars. Two, a 10,000-acre ranch. Or three, my daughter's hand in marriage. And all of a sudden... This young guy hits the water, and he's just swimming as hard as he can. And they're thrashing, he's thrashing around in the water. The crocodiles are thrashing around in the water. He gets to the other side. He comes out, not a scratch on him. I mean, he's practically walking on water to get to the other side and comes out. Says, um, there's no, not a scratch on him. People can't believe it. The millionaire comes over to him and says, what, how in the world did you do this? How, I, I never even thought someone would attempt this, let alone succeed at it, so I'm a man of my, my word, so what, what do you want? A million dollars, 10,000 acre ranch, or would you like my daughter's hand in marriage? And he said, I don't want any of them. And um, he said, what do you mean you don't want any of them? You just survived this thing, all these crocodiles in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. What do you mean you don't want 
any of those things. And he said, no, I don't want that. I want the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. That's all. I just want to know who did it, right? Sometimes it can feel like that in our lives, right? How did I get here? Who pushed me in this pool? Circumstances don't necessarily look like what we think they're going to look like. Our families look different than we thought. Our jobs look different than we thought. Our um, children look different than we thought. They don't act the way we think they would act, right? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what that might be for you. My marriage doesn't look like what I thought it would. Uh, I, don't, I don't have uh, the security in my life that I thought I would have. And we go, how did I get here? Who pushed me in this pool? What does this look like? And why does it look like this for me? I've got bills that need to be paid and all these things, and I don't have the money to pay them. And whatever that circumstance might be for you, it's difficult, and we wonder how we got here. There was a newspaper article had this sentence in it. It's fascinating to me. This isn't a bad world to live in once you get used to being nervous. Right? I mean, think about it. We live in an anxiety-ridden world. We do. And and I'm not... um, I'm not knocking medication or any of those things at all. But I'll tell you, I work with young people, uh, and I worked with them in the beginning of my ministry, and I'm back there now. Um, and 10 years difference makes a lot of difference. Number one, I'm not nearly as cool as I used to be. And I found that out really fast once I started back in youth ministry. But two, I've not ever seen kids so anxious or so nervous or so worried or hand-wringing, and, and they're... Just their minds run away with them about, well, what if, what if, what if? Well, we do that as adults too, and sometimes it gets worse as we're adults because um, we see the news, we know what's really happening in the world, we have real responsibilities, and that can be difficult. We we sort of ride these waves of, of feeling pretty good, and then it crashes and we crash into anxiety, and then up and down, it just happens to us whether we want it to or not. We're pretty anxiety ridden culture. And we can think sometimes, how did I get here? Who pushed me in here? There was a a psychiatrist that noted that anxiety is America's modern-day plague. I don't think I would disagree with that. Um, Suicide on the rise, um, such depression, anxiety, all these things that happen to us, uh, whether we want them to or not. And sometimes we put ourselves in bad situations, but sometimes they just happen to us. And we go, why? Why does my life look like this? Why did God let this happen to me, or why did this person walk out and leave, or why did this and this and this, Lord, why'd you push me in this pool? How did I get here? And then all of a sudden, Thanksgiving comes along, and it's like, okay, be thankful. You should be thankful and happy for all the things that you have and all these blessings you have, and you go, yes, I know that in my mind, but my circumstances don't make that very easy to do. I think we have become a little bit adept at counting our um, problems versus counting our blessings. And that may not be true for you, but sometimes if you talk to people and it's like every time you talk to them, you know it's just going to be a laundry list of all the things that are going wrong. I find myself steering clear of people like that on occasion because I go, I just can't take that. I got, I got my own things, right? I got my own stuff to think about, and it's hard when all you're talking about is the things that are negative. Those people are difficult to be with. Sometimes I am that person. You know people that are like that. Some of you are those people, right? But we need a different perspective, a change of perspective about what real Thanksgiving is. We may have been going about this thing of Thanksgiving all wrong and going, okay, Uh, 
I'm thankful for the home I live in, which is absolutely true. I, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I'm, I'm thankful for um, a vehicle to drive. I'm thankful for a job. I'm th- and we can start to count the things that are more material, right? It's easy to do that because we can see them. We experience them. We're in them day to day. And that's not bad. Please don't mishear me. Those things are good. We need to do that because those things are from God. The scripture tells us, I learned this scripture when I was in um, college, and I remember where I was sitting, what class I was sitting in. I went to a, a Christian liberal arts school, and I was sitting in class and listening to my professor teach Job, and somehow uh, we got to this scripture um, that said, it's he who made us and not we ourselves. Well, it struck me. My life changed right then, realizing I am not the author of my life. He is. And I I think I knew that, but putting words to it changed my perspective and changed my life. So when I recognized that and realized that it's, it's God who has created my life and put the blessings in my life, many are material, but there are other things to be thankful for too, when I made that conversion in my mind, it made a big difference for me that, that I don't get to declare my own destiny. We say that all the time. You know, that uh, last night, actually, I was watching Tennessee football. Whoop, whoop. <coughs> Will, are you here? Is my man Will in the back? Yes, yes. My, <coughs> my one t- Tennessee fan friend here. I was watching Tennessee win last night. I was so thankful. Um, but my dad and I were texting through the game, of course, and my aunt, his sisters are on there too, so we're texting back and forth about the game. And uh, my dad says, this, this game is ours to lose, which is true. But sometimes I think we think that about our lives, that, that we control the outcome of everything in our lives, and, and that's true to a degree. But ultimately, God is the one who creates us, who blesses us, and who leads us. We have free will in the midst of all of that, but it's ours Uh, It's our responsibility to say, Lord, lead me, change me, give me this different perspective about being thankful and gratitude so then I live my life out of that versus trying to dictate my own life. Does that make sense? So uh, as we've been going about that thinking a little bit in, in the wrong way, we've put our trust in things that are temporary The Bible tells us really clearly um, that the things of this world, if we store up treasures for ourselves on earth, what what will it do? Moths destroy, rust destroys, all these things happen to it. A hurricane might come and blow it all away. Some of you are, are intimately acquainted with that in the last year. So those things don't last, but it can be easy to look at those as the sole blessings from God. And they are blessings from Him. Things are, but... When, they, when those things go away, what's left? What are we thankful for? If we've been living in this mistaken notion that happiness comes from those things and that those are the only things we have to be thankful for, I think we're a little bit misguided because ultimately we can't count on things. The truth is that real thanksgiving is so much more than that. I think it's a good thing and it's a right thing for us to um, count our material blessings for certain But I am saying that a real, deep, mature thanksgiving stresses the giver rather than the gift, right? So there's we look beyond what we have to the one who gave it to us. Again, it's it's he who made us, and the scripture also calls him the giver of every good and perfect gift. He gives those to us, and we have them, but he is ultimately the giver. He is the ultimate gift as well for us to look toward. I brought something to show you today. Uh, 
everybody I passed in the hallway was asking me what this is, and I said, you had to come to church to find out. Okay, this is a bacon bits jar. <laughs> okay, Tyler, mm, okay. This is a bacon bits jar, but it has crochet hooks in it. I will say, my grandmother was a genius because she came up with this idea. It's just the right height. It's perfect. for So for all you crocheters in here, get you a bacon bits jar, and there's where you can store your crochet hooks. Oh, wait. My grandmother um, is 93. She's in assisted living in Troy, Alabama, where my parents are, and um, they care for her there. She's in a memory care unit. She's started to struggle with her memory in the last several years. Um, but one thing that she has done for years and years and years and years and years is to crochet and to make baby blankets and all kinds of other things. But she made a lot of baby blankets, and she made so many pairs of bedroom slippers, y'all. I mean, thousands upon thousands. I could not even hazard a guess how much. I think my grandpa had to keep working just to, like, supply her yarn supply, you know. But she moved to Troy about five or about six years ago, I guess, and she continued crocheting when she went into assisted living. And then um, about a year ago, she moved into the memory care unit, and she continued to crochet, um, but a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And uh, my parents went to get the things, the last of her things that are in her home in Tennessee. Somebody's renting it. So they went to get the last of the things out, and um, this was one of them. There was this jar of crochet hooks. She kept one, one uh, crochet hook when she came to Troy, brought it with her, and that's the same one she uses all the time. Um, but she gave these to me, and I love to crochet. She taught me when I was a little girl. I did a little bit here and there as I was growing up, but then, um, you know, if you're not a crocheter, I will say it's, there's an art to it, but um, when you first get started, you know you have to make a chain, and a, Katie and I laugh because we had a whole lot of, we called them like, like Barbie scarves in our house because like we'd get that far and then we'd just stop, you know. Um, or Katie had a lot of beanie babies and she made scarves for them or whatever or a bookmark or a bracelet or whatever. You just kind of got so far and then quit. When I became an adult, um, uh, several years ago, I, start, I picked it back up and started making baby blankets of all things. Um, it's my favorite thing to make. In this jar, if you added it up, especially at the time that she... Uh, bought these in the time that she was using them, which is over the years, I mean, I'm talking like probably 80 years worth of time. Uh, those all in total probably $25, maybe, right? Not a whole lot. They're more expensive today, but hey. Uh, and they're plastic and they're not as good. It's just my opinion. If you want my review on a crochet hook, I'll talk to you about it sometime. Uh, but my grandmother and I liked the same ones, uh, which I didn't realize until I became an adult, found the ones I liked, and then I was visiting with her one day, and I was like, hey, this must be in our genes, because those are the same ones I use, right? But she gave me this, and I would not trade it for the world. It's not worth anything, monetarily, not much, but I wouldn't sell it for anything, because it doesn't matter what it's worth, but it's the giver who gave it to me right? I can't tell you the number of baby blankets and bedroom slippers and afghans that includes and doilies and uh, tissue box covers and you name it, she did it. <clears throat> and I, I just would not, would not trade it for anything. And especially now that I love to do it too and I love to use those needles and I love to to do the same things that she did, and they look different. And I've got a, <laughs> I have a basket in my closet at home, um, 
of all these pieces that she would start. And um, as her memory had started to fail, she would think she'd made a whole blanket and it's about the size of this podium, you know, or it's like a, a placemat size. So I've just collected them and I'm going to piece them all together and make one actual blanket out of them. Um, but I would not trade that for anything because she gave them to me. And there's a legacy to that, right? There's no monetary value to it, but it matters to me because it came from her. That's, that's the change of perspective, right? The yarn that she likes to use is like the cheapest kind. It's super scratchy. It's not like super comfortable to wrap up in. But I, every, I've got blankets upon blankets upon blankets from her and all these little pieces, but I wouldn't trade them. I would not trade them for anything. I have them. Mark 8.36 tells us this, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If we gather things, right, and it's all about the material things that we have, but we, but we don't have this uh, perspective of gratitude, we lose everything. It's not worth anything, but we also lose something tremendously important. If we're not walking with the Lord with this attitude of thanksgiving, it says we, we can lose our soul. So I would pose to you today that gratitude has an eternal impact. An eternal impact. It's, it's not just one day a year or a cute little sign that you find at Hobby Lobby that says count your blessings. It's not that. It's recognizing that everything I have comes from the most perfect giver that will ever be. Ever. When we make the breakthrough into that, all of a sudden, we're never the same. We can't be. We're changed. It changes our lives. There's this beautiful example in the New Testament, story of Zacchaeus. Um, Jesus encounters him um, on his way into Jericho. And so we're going to look at this scripture here in just a second. But do you remember the story? Do you remember the, the little song you used to sing in Vacation Bible School? And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, uh-huh. that's good. Yeah, I remember it. And I'm thankful for people who taught me the scripture through music because that's, that's how I learned so much of what I know about the Bible was through music. My mom was very good about doing that with us. Um, but Jesus and his disciples, let me set this up for you, are going into Jerusalem. Um, the disciples don't know this, but Jesus is headed toward the cross. Okay, That's in the future. They don't know it, but he does. He knows that the work he came to do is so much bigger than what they could imagine. And they're about to see a piece of it happen, unfold in this story here. They're coming into Jericho, and there's this big crowd has gathered to see him. And it's funny to me how there's no technology at that time, but word traveled so fast that the, that the town in front of where he was had already gathered to meet him. They knew he was on his way. So let's look at the story. Zacchaeus was in that crowd. Let's look here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's, got, he's gone to, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love this story because it tells us, it gives us this picture of a guy that um, uh, is lonely. Think about it. It tells us he's the chief tax collector. So who likes that guy, first of all? okay, Who likes him? But then he was a thief too. He was taking more than he was supposed to take. Um, And so what started to happen is he was isolated from his community and from people who had the potential and the ability to care for him, but they didn't. They didn't like him because he had done them wrong. They were all Jews. He, He was included, but all of the rest of the people in his community felt like his allegiance was to Rome, and so they felt like he had abandoned them and their faith and their life as well. And so there were a lot of strikes against Zacchaeus here. Um, But he was eager to see this Nazarene. He was eager to see Jesus who was coming into town. So he decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see him. And he takes off and he climbs this tree. Here's what I love. The Bible says that when Jesus saw him, things began to change. So just pause right there and think about that. All these people, it doesn't tell us how many, but it says a great crowd. So lots and lots of people. But Jesus saw him. He was up in a tree. Okay, I'll give you that. But also, I believe when Jesus was walking into Jericho that day, he had on his mind to see Zacchaeus. Have you ever felt like the Lord didn't see you? Like you've just been left or left out or go, Lord, when is it my turn? When is it my time? Or Lord, why did you push me in this pool? How did I get here? Well, guess what? That day ended right then for Zacchaeus because Jesus saw him. To me, that's one of the most powerful pieces of this whole scripture is that he was seen by Jesus. He had been, God had seen him, but Jesus physically on earth took the time to see him. So Jesus says, come down, come down. I'm going to your house today. And he he doesn't say, come down when I finish this parade through the people. He says, come down immediately, immediately. I'm going to your house. It doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, let's go, have a cup of coffee. He says, I'm going home with you, right? I'm going, this is the ultimate request for hospitality. That's a big deal for in that culture, in that time, and today too. When you have someone into your home, it's because you want them there. You're trying to be hospitable. You invite them in. Jesus says, I'm going home with you. Why? He had this mind toward Zacchaeus of transformation. That was his goal that day, was to see his life changed. Because of everybody there, people, what did it say? That people muttered when they saw Jesus going home with him. They knew how bad this guy was. They knew it. Why is he going home with him? You know, and then I think I could probably be quick to say that too and be like, Jesus, come home with me. And then think, oh no, maybe not. Uh, I got some things I need to straighten up first. You know, (laughs) I I, I don't know that I would really want him to come home with me, but do I want him to go home with him? You know what I mean? It just, that's how we are as human beings. And we think we have to have things all just right and straightened up. But, but Jesus picked the least person that you would expect out of that whole crowd to have a relationship with and to go home with. Zacchaeus' response is also what strikes me here, that he was grateful. Appreciation is what flowed out of him immediately. When it comes to that point, when we really grasp appreciation for what God does in our lives, and we're going to look here just in a minute about the the various things that he does as a result of thanksgiving in our lives. But when that really happens and that really breaks in, we cannot be the same. We're changed. 
Let me show you what I mean here. First of all, real thanksgiving gives us a new relationship with God. We don't have to have this anxiety or, or angst about living or all these things that, uh, that plague us today when we have a relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean we're exempt from those things because we're human. But it does mean that when we're walking with God, when we truly have a relationship with Him, things change because He has the power to transform me. He has the power to abolish the fear in my life, to abolish the anxiety in my life, to abolish the worry in my life. He has the power to do that. Nobody else does. I certainly don't. If I did, I'd gotten rid of it, gotten rid of it a long time ago, right? He's the one who has the power to do that. So when we begin to have real thanksgiving in our lives, it gives us a new relationship with God. For some of you, that may be a relationship with God for the first time that you've never had before. That is always my prayer, that, that people would come to know Christ and know Him fully. So today, that might be your day. This may be your Zacchaeus day for you to know Jesus fully. And that's a transformation that, that is eternal, absolutely. It gives us a new relationship with God. For those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a little bit of time or for a really long time, we can always have a new perspective and a newness in our relationship with God. The Scripture tells us that God is... Um, the beginning and the end. He's everything in between. There's always something new about him we can learn. That, that relationship should never get old. So whether you're a Christian or not, Thanksgiving can give us a new relationship with God. Absolutely. Zacchaeus, can you imagine thinking, thinking about the lonely life that he lived? How difficult it was to be him. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes along and says, hey, come be with me. Or hey, I'm coming to be with you. Even better. It's an amazing transformation that happened there. Second thing, real thanksgiving gives us a new regard for others. Um, I, I have a confession. <clears throat> I have uh, people in my life, uh, believe it or not, who get on my nerves, right? That never happens to you, I'm sure, okay? Uh, I probably am that person for some of you or for other people, right? Yeah, Bill. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, but I will say, several years ago, it was Christmas Eve of all days, and I was so frustrated with these people. And uh, they're still in my life today. But I was very frustrated with them, and I was telling the Lord and my mom all about it, okay? I was mad, and I was telling them what I thought. And just like that, just like that, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, Cameron, how can you expect them to act like Christians when they're not Christians? The Bible tells us that People who are not of the Spirit don't understand things of the Spirit, right? My perspective as a Christian is different than a person who is not a Christian, okay? That's not a fault to them. Uh, it's really a fault to me to be frustrated and judgy of that, right? But all of a sudden, I started having a different perspective on these people and realizing this was more than just the circumstance that was happening that I was frustrated about. This was an eternal problem. These people don't know Jesus. So what am I going to do about that? So I've started to pray for them. That was probably 10 years ago now. And I pray for them regularly. And I'm still trusting the Lord for their salvation. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm believing Him for that. It gives me a new perspective on other people. It gives me a new perspective and, and a new way to look at people and a new regard for them that they're valuable. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as valuable. When He called him down out of the tree, it wasn't because he was the best guy in the crowd. It was quite the opposite. But he called him down because he wanted to see him changed. He wanted Zacchaeus to have a different perspective of people. But you know what else? I think God wanted 
the people in the crowd to have a different perspective of Zacchaeus, right? That God was doing a bigger transformative work in that whole community than just in one guy. This, this could change everything if people saw him differently and he saw other people differently. Did you ever read the comic, The Wizard of Id? Did you ever read that? Um, in one of them, the priest asks, of all the major sins, which do you consider number one? And the person answers, well, you know, they're all bad, but I, I like greed the best. You know, um, And thinking that that's what we do sometimes, right? We hang on to the, to the sin that we like best. That's kind of our thing, right? That's the one that we put our, you know, we set up camp in and we stay there. Well, for Zacchaeus, greed was that thing. That was his place. He had done everything he could to gain more and more and more. He cheated, he stole, and all these things. But with a new regard for others, all of a sudden, he changes, and what happens? He says immediately in verse 8 of that scripture, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's what real thanksgiving does. It gives us a new regard for other people. That we don't want to mistreat other people. We don't want to um, be impatient with other people, especially when we're driving during summer season. We don't, you know, we, we want to have a different perspective on other people. And thanksgiving in our hearts and in our lives will do that. When we recognize the giver of everything is worth all of our affection and worth all of our thanksgiving, it causes us to see other people differently. Here's the last thing. Real thanksgiving gives us a new reason for living. So once our relationship with God is resolved or is started or is renewed or whatever it is that we need to have happen, then all of a sudden we start to see people differently. Well, when we see people differently, we want to live differently because we want to serve them and see the outflow of our life be gratitude and be that toward other people. Um, so I think this is a, there's a direct correlation between these three things. If thanksgiving is the recognition of God's generosity to us, then our Christian lifestyle should be the imitation of God's generosity. It should be a mirror image of that to other people. In other words, the best way to express thanksgiving to God is to imitate that to other people here. Zacchaeus saw it, and he did it. So the question for us then is, are we? Are we going to do that too? Are we willing to? Are we doing it now? If we're not, how are we going to change that? I think this is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said that our living, our reason for living is to be God's ambassadors and his children, his instruments, his representatives, all these things. That's what he wanted us to be, is a reflection of who God is to the world. I'm going to end with this. Uh, there was a, there's a lady who um, many of you have heard of. I'm sure you probably listened to her radio program, um, Johnny Erickson Tata who was injured in a diving accident years and years ago. She's a quadriplegic. Um, she uh, paints with her teeth, has become uh, part of her ministry, and she has a wonderful radio program called Johnny and Friends. Um, but I want to read you this direct quote from her about Thanksgiving at her house. She says this, I don't know how it is with your family, but with mine, especially on Thanksgiving, when so many relatives are gathered, everybody is talking and laughing at the same time. Then after dinner, Dad speaks a word of thanks, and each one of us, sometimes as many as 25, go around the big dining table and do the same. Thanksgiving 1967 came. I was in the hospital tied to, an, to intravenous tubes and to a catheter. I was strapped to a smelly canvas stretcher frame that was both confining and claustrophobic. 
The darkness in my heart was as dreary as the hospital walls that surrounded me. In my bitterness, in my anger and resentment, and in my suffering, I felt as if it were impossible to thank God. I thought I could never thank God again. Another year passed, and my heart had time to mellow. So Thanksgiving of 1968 came. My spirit had begun to soften, and my ears were open once again, and I was thankful. No more fox hunts for me, but I was home from the hospital with my family. After dinner, in our usual tradition, Dad stood up, and through his tears, he said that he was so thankful that I was home. When it was my turn, I looked down at my plate and then up at the faces of my family. I said, I'm thankful that I'm sitting up in a wheelchair now. I'm thankful that I don't have any more bed sores and that I don't have to go through any more operations. I'm thankful that I'm home for good. I'm thankful that I found a corset that fits me right so I can sit up comfortably and breathe. I'm thankful for my family. Most of all, I'm thankful for God and all his blessings. She goes on to say, you know what? On Thanksgiving of 1968, it didn't matter that I couldn't go on a fox hunt or that I couldn't braid the mane of my favorite thoroughbred horse. It didn't matter that I had no strength to polish a saddle or to drive my car out to the farm. It didn't matter that I couldn't help my family prepare dinner or set the table. What mattered was that I was alive and that I was beginning to smile and to feel. Thanksgiving 1968 was far more wonderful and meaningful to me than any other Thanksgiving I'd had before. It's a change of perspective. It's not about what we have or even the experiences we have. It's about the relationship with God. When we begin to see life differently, it changes us. It gives us a new relationship with God, a new regard for others, and a new reason for living. I don't know a whole lot, but I know this, and I'll close. The Holy Spirit is in the business of transformation. That is His sole job. To see us transform, to walk alongside us until Jesus comes back, to comfort us and to transform us. There is a there's some prayers that God will say no to. But there's two that I know he won't. Number one, prayer for salvation. God will never say no to that. If you if you want to follow Jesus, he will always say yes. And the second thing is that if we ask for a heart of gratitude, He will always say yes to that. He wants to transform us in that way. So that's my prayer today, is that we're Zacchaeus people. Um, That we begin to see people and God differently in ourselves as well, because we're thankful. So if you you need to um, or want to ask Jesus into your heart today for the first time, it will be my joy to pray that prayer with you in a minute. If there's something that you want to renew in your life and your heart with the Lord, this is the time to do it too. And ask Him, Lord, make me, make me Zacchaeus today. Make me thankful. Transform me. And He'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful to You for the way that You offer freely to us Your Holy Spirit for comfort, for transformation, for salvation. So we're asking you right now, Lord, to do that. If you need to ask Jesus to come and live in your heart and to be your Savior today for the first time, it's simple. There's nothing you have to do to change before you do it. You simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and that I don't deserve salvation or forgiveness from you. But I'm asking you today in your grace to accept me and to come and live in my heart.
forgive my sin, and make me to be more like you. Lord, I thank you for those that would pray that today, that heaven is bigger and eternity is different because they're now going to be part of it. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I also pray that for the rest of us who have been walking with you or maybe our relationship with you has gotten stale because we haven't cultivated it, make us new. Give us a new perspective to be thankful and that it would transform every area of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this, and we ask it in your name. What an awesome message. I love that new perspective on Thanksgiving. Just to recap, real Thanksgiving gives us a new relationship with God, a new regard for others, and a new reason for living. We hope you enjoyed the message this week. Again, if you'd like to connect with us, just visit woodlawnpcb, like Panama City Beach, dot info. There you're going to find message notes, You can give a gift, request prayer, see all of our events that are coming up. It's the one-stop shop for everything Woodlawn. We hope to see you next week.